Hey there, before you start tonight's episode, we wanted to talk to you about a brand new project that we're starting that we're really excited about. It's called Whose Dice Are These Anyway? It's a podcast where the stories are made up and the rules barely matter. Join us every week as our bumbling crew of adventurers solves some mysteries, fights some monsters, and does terrible celebrity impressions. Starting Thursday, January 26th, and every Thursday thereafter. You can find Who's Dice Are These Anyway on every major podcasting distribution platform. You can also find us on Twitter at Who's Dice. We hope you'll tune in for action, suspense, and uncontrollable laughter. See you then. Hello, and welcome to the Guild that Keeps on Giving, a podcast about a group of friends and their thoughts, ideas, and experiences relating to D&D. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Patrick, and let's go talk to my friends. Welcome to the Guild that Keeps on Giving, the show that regales with tales of glorious triumphs and epic failures among friends. This week, we're discussing the published adventure, The Curse of Strahd. So, without further ado, let's introduce today's guest. Dr. Chris Rowan. Hey, Chris. Hello. Dr. Rick McCain. Hey, Rick. Hey there. Good day and well met. Well met. Uh, Matt Mullen. Hey, Matt. Hey. And our special guest today, Weston Monks. Hey, Wes, how are you? I'm great. I feel very special. Thank Thanks you. for joining us today. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Weston is a player in our weekly campaign and has been for quite some time, and we're super happy to have him today because our topic today is the Curse of Strahd, and he has DM'd and played as well as Chris and Rick, yep. and I'm not sure, Matt, have you DM'd as well? No, but I have I have played it, but I have not been the DM. So Matthew and I will be coming from the player side of the house, and uh, Chris, Rick, and Weston will have all kinds of insights for you from the DM side of the house. So who'd like to sort of jump in and uh, start with this one? I'll go. So Strahd is a personal favorite of mine, um, and oddly, not even because of Strahd, um, because of Another character that actually doesn't appear in this adventure that I actually think you should insert if you can, and that is Lord Soth. He's a death knight that is one of the coolest Forgotten Realms novels, or I guess Kryn even, because Soth is from Kryn, Dragonlance. So Strahd is a really complicated character that I find very interesting. This is a very dark adventure that I think you really need to insert some humor if you are playing with um, young people. So I think, again, I, I, I tend to say this every week, but when you're looking at this adventure, I think you need to really look at your audience. Um, some people are not going to like the horror theme of this, and that's something you should probably set out at the beginning. Let them know this is a horror-style, uh, darker-themed adventure. You're not just a bunch of guys hanging out in a tavern and uh, going on missions and such. You're sort of trapped here. This is a, you know, some spoilers in, in case people are, are listening. You're, you're trapped here. Um, there's a strange mist around you. You're in this sort of demi-plane. And Strahd's the boss. And it's it's sort of classical, like a little bit like Dracula in that he's, you know, in this big castle. The gypsies, uh, I know that word's a little triggery for some folks, but that's what they were called. The, they're the Vistani. They're, they're like, you know, the, the people that sort of tolerate his presence because he's terrifying. And at the same time, sort of hate him. And you, as players, are going to navigate this sort of weird, mysterious, creepy, um, scary, dangerous place. And you've got to 
uncover clues, you've got to recover items. There's a lot of classic themes in this that I think are really, really cool. But the 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 big opportunity here, I think, is really creating the atmosphere. And I think some people are really going to appreciate that. You know, in setting that atmosphere early, I think, is, is a really good thing. Holding the mystery and having ebbs and flows of sort of excitement and darkness and, and sort of temper that with periods of sort of lightness. And if you've got like a comedian in the group, um, definitely sort of encourage that. I think that helps break the tension. And to be quite honest, when I DM'd this, I, I was probably God, 20, maybe, or something like that. I, I, I was young and, and not nearly as experienced. And, and I think my favorite part of the adventure was really setting the stage. Um, I think when we played, it was really late at night. We played into the very early morning hours. And it was super quiet. And it was dark because it was dark out and the lighting where we were playing wasn't awesome. And honestly, I think those things played into it, you know, and I, I think this is one of those things where the little details will make a big deal. And um, I just, I think it's a great adventure. I think there's some great story points. You get a great villain. Learn about Strahd in his backstory. His backstory is super, super dark and tragic. Chris, so... Yeah. Um, you say you did this when you were twenty. Um, so yeah, I was going to ask about does that. that as well. Does that mean you you did the original edition or yeah. the, the fifth edition? Version? Yeah, no, I did the original. Thank you. Yeah, I've I've glanced at um, I've gone no because I wanted I want to do the fifth edition one, but yeah, I did the original version, and um, I'll, and you know I don't know the huge differences uh, yet, so I don't know. Has if anyone that would be played as both? I've not. I've only ever played the fifth edition. Same here. Yeah, same here. Yeah. I, the closest I've come to was to re, uh, read an article when it first came out comparing the two, um, and that was years ago. So I really can't reference it. But yes, Chris, it's it it's a fun campaign to run, and there is a lot of humor, dark humor, built yeah. into the fifth edition version of it um i was gonna say i was like i remember there being like kind of a lot of funny stuff like there was a ton of funny stuff in the fifth I, edition <laughs> i feel like if i recall correctly there's a like warning or you know uh, advice at the beginning of the book that's like you should try to keep this lighthearted because this is a dark adventure they do have that disclaimer depressed. in there yes okay yeah 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 the I, original I, version was pretty dark i think a lot of things back then though they uh, i mean i played second edition not you know any further yeah. back than that but uh, i think a lot of things back then were a lot more dark and sort of uh, tragic like you talked yeah. about different times yeah and i think fifth edition has really tried it its best to sort of just dip its toes in that and keep everything else yeah. a little more light and i think that um i mean curse of Strahd, at least the the fifth edition one that that i played it was so much less dark and horror like than any of the second edition stuff that we had back then. And I think, um, if I'm not mistaken, I read an article as well. This has been quite a few years ago, though. It's when I yeah. started thinking about coming back and starting to play again. 
So it's been you know three or four years, but I, I think it. I think Chris Perkins was in that article article as well. I think they were talking about how Curse of Strahd was really a chance to bring back uh, a fan favorite, and that it was so well loved they wanted to do it justice, but they wanted it to be somewhat different. I'm not sure if that's the same type of thing you read, Rick, or not. But um, it, yes, and in the introduction, there's a. Uh... I'm looking at it now. So the original Ravenloft, which this is based on, was published in 1983, and then they had I a, do the math on how old Chris is. Old is hundred calculators away now. And then, um, and then they had a campaign setting in 1990 called Ravenloft: Home of the Domains of Dread. Yeah, and very cool. So, so the Curse of Strahd has the original adventure, plus some of the campaign expansions from the 1990 campaign. Aren't they doing a like Guide to Ravenloft? Is right, that kind of von Richten's campaign setting. Guide to Ravenloft, right? I think so. I yeah, think they correct. introduced yes. some new subclasses too: Spirit Bard and the Phantom Rogue. Is it the Phantom Rogue? I, I'm not I sure about know. that. That's, I know yeah, it's I the Spirit the Bard. Yet. Yeah, the Spirit Bard got introduced there, which is super creepy and cool. <laughs> I'm I'm waiting for all this stuff to become mainstream again so that I can get a Ford Econoline van and paint like a heavy metal lady on the side with LED yes. oh. lights and all that stuff and airbrushed. Oh, yeah. What's stopping you? <clears throat> I know. He's waiting. He doesn't want to be the trendsetter. He wants yeah. to be riding the trend. I'm, I'm, so, I'm so sick of sort of being the guy who starts all this cool stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 It's a burden uh, he's had to bear for too long. Oh, man. My, my shoulders are sore from carrying the weight of the world on this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess that was off topic. Anywho. Anywho. Um, so, yeah, they do have that disclaimer, Rick, that, you know, or like Weston was saying earlier. And I think maybe the reason that I remember it being funny is because my DM read that warning and was like, oh, I'll insert some humor. <laughs> like, you know, like, yeah, yeah. so it can definitely, I'm sure there's plenty of DMs who look through it and any written in funny stuff, they go, I don't want that. I want this to be dark. Like, and, you know, I'm sure there's people playing it going, that was terrifying. I was, you know, so it's all, it's that's 100%. It's 100% what Chris says every week. Know your audience, know your players, and, right. yeah. and the table that you're playing at, and I'm sure you'll have fun. Yeah, how, one how, thing how that I not? found uh, that was unique about the Strahd adventure versus other modules that I had played or DM'd was that they encourage you to introduce the villain directly to the characters very early on and multiple times throughout the story mm -hmm. to yes. try and add that sense of, like, terror and powerlessness like the characters can throw themselves at Strahd at like full force and he essentially won't be harmed for the first half of the book because right. they don't have the equipment necessary or the skills like they they just aren't going to be able to take on a vampire lord and I thought that was it, the hardest thing for me to DM was setting up those encounters so that they felt like they had stakes and that there was something the players could still accomplish while still instilling that sense of dread and powerlessness. So I was going to ask the other people who DM'd it how they kind of worked that balance, and wondering if you guys had any insights on, on how to make those encounters seem like the players still had agency, while sort of conveying Strahd's, you know, complete control over this demiplane. 
I definitely well, have one thing I want. So I, I, this is real quick. So there is an incredible scene. The movie's not suitable for children, but in Glorious Bastards, it is the, I can't remember the actor's name, but he's incredible. He's, they're looking for, um, you know, these escapees fleeing from the Germans. This is kind of heavy content, but this scene is so profound. He goes into this guy's house who's hiding people in his floorboard. And the way he is terrifying by being almost personable and very casual and the feeling you get while watching this scene. I mean, I was visibly uncomfortable because, you know, it's it's so bizarre. It's almost like a cat playing with the mouse, right? He's He's sitting there casually asking for things, but it's the subtleties that he imparts terror in the viewer and the person, obviously. I really, now this is obviously very new, so when I did this, I didn't have that to go off of. But I thought to myself, if I run this, I am playing out that scene where Strahd goes into maybe one of the Vistani's houses. Maybe they're hiding somebody from him. And having the players witness that scene so they know who they're dealing with, I think that could be an awesome way to sort of set the scene no, that's great. Um, <laughs> I did something similar, although I used very, that cat and mouse reference was was what I did. I like had, Tom and Jerry. You dropped an anvil on your plate. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Although that would have been funny. Um, no, more of the confident toying with them, being a a, um, a host. Offering them things, you know, because they can, the, the players can go to the castle and interact with Strahd and, and they're invited in when they first get there and Strahd is playing with them. So I could see him being um, charming and, and even innocent acting in a creepy way that gives that just sense of there's something really powerful and wrong about this guy that that uh, puts everyone on edge and when they first get there they're certainly not capable of handling a vampire um, right lord and he can make it very clear to them that that's what he is i mean there's no secret uh really that needs to be and they they can enjoy him being a, a gracious host with just this creepy edge, and that uh, that worked really well. My whole th- and I, I DM this for my family the first time through, and um, they were just creeped out. They were terrified of this whole thing, and it, it he and remember that Strahd doesn't initially want to murder everybody. He wants to play with them. He is toying with them. Uh, they're not in any immediate danger, even if they draw weapons. I mean, he could, you know, just poof and disappear and his servants would usher them out the door and and set up the whole scenario of him toying with them physically, psychologically, sending creatures after them over and over again to just to torment them and test them. And so, yes, that's, that's how I went about it. Let me ask a question about, you know, since just like us, since COVID has taken over, a lot of people are playing 
online roll 20 D&D beyond a lot of the a lot of the uh, creepiness the tension that's created when I played it was all done sort of theater of the mind so do you see any obstacles by trying to do this with roll 20 because i mean you know with the maps it sort of takes away a lot of the discussion um, between the dm and the player about setting the scene you know the oh yeah dm doesn't have to do as much uh descriptive storytelling or scene setting with roll 20 and i could see how you know not i don't mean laziness in a derogatory way but laziness can sort of set in for a DM in Roll20 to just, poof, here's your map. Look how spooky that is. Ooh. 100%. You know what I mean? So I think, do you, oh, Go sorry. ahead. I'm sorry, Matt. Please. Well, I was just going to say, I think that is a pitfall, but like also Roll20 offers you something that like you can't do when you're playing in person, which is like the fog of war, the fact that like you can you can really restrict how much area they can see. Like I'm, This was a Curse of Strahd, but when we were playing in Rick's campaign and we did that like labyrinth that had that mist that it didn't matter how much vision you had, you could only see like 10 feet around you. Right. And so we lost sight of each other. So there's a lot you can do with this technology. Like it's often the case with all technology, there's pros and cons, but like some of it you can make way scarier than you could at the table where it's like, once you draw the map, I mean, I can put a paper over it or something, but like, Right. It's not the same as like I literally can't see anyone else like yeah. on my screen and I I'm alone and I'm scared. So you that can was, still make it scary. That was extremely uh that well that was just well done, Rick. I'm gonna just golf play. Yeah, I mean, no, that was, was great. That was Thank excellent. you. Um I gave that a lot of thought on how to make that maze terrifying and I realized <laughs> I realized that feeling separated um when you're in a collaborative game is pretty much the scariest thing I could come up with. And uh, I'm glad Sometimes that worked out. Sometimes it gets out. your character killed too. It does when you, <laughs> yeah. when you miss where everyone goes and you head off by yep. yourself down yeah. the, the quarter of check death. check email during the game, guys. <laughs> I hear yeah. you. Yeah. Right. Here's a PSA about being steps. present yep. at all times. I'm just going to check some email because I'm so tough. I don't have to worry. I'm sure they went through this door and barred right. it on their yep. Right. Yep. I'll be fine. Nope. Do you, do you guys have any tips then for... Huge, huge. I got a bunch to say about that. Because we were talking a little bit about this the other day, Patrick, where I was saying that I tend to get lazy at times with Roll20 because sometimes I spend a lot of time getting a map or making a map and tweaking it and decorating it and getting everything set. And I'm like, God, this map is gorgeous this looks great dynamic lighting's on point everything's great and then the players see it and i don't narrate anything um you know because sometimes in my defense they start asking a lot of questions so i don't really have time but um i think for this you don't like you just said don't let the visual part the virtual tabletop part distract you narrate the describe the place describe what it feels like what it smells like and but but before all of that my suggestion is to talk to your players and be like hey guys get you know get yourself in a place where it's quiet you know maybe hopefully you're alone you're not in like like last night we had a kid literally there were fireworks going off in the background <laughs> and i was like hey are you at disney and i said are you at disneyland and he's like no there's just fireworks is your so, new character friend rev 
Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, and, and that's fine. I wasn't, like, upset with them. But, I, you know, that would not have been the best environment to get really deep into what's going on in the atmosphere. So I would start with that. Try to get your players, you know, to understand that this is sort of, a, a, <clears throat> you know, something you can sort of dive into and, and um, get to a quiet sort of place where you're not distracted. And then... What the cool, one of the cool things virtual tabletops can do, and I'll just reference Roll20 because that's what I use, the ambiance you can do with the jukebox. You can have music going on in the background that's pretty subtle. Right. And it doesn't overshadow. And man, there is some good stuff. In fact, go to the jukebox. Now, I, I might have to put the disclaimer that you have to be a plus or a pro subscriber. I don't know. But even if you do... You can still import, or if you're playing through Zoom, you can share your sound. Um, you can play things in the background with that, too. There's some unbelievable ambiances on YouTube. Um, and by Michael Gelfi, if you guys have not heard of him, he is absolutely amazing. And then there are just some great ones in Roll20. And if you put in the keyword horror, you are going to get more than you know what to do with. And you can layer them too. It's, it's, it really helps my players talk about it all the time. So I think that's great. And just describe things. Get, get your players into the details and hide some things so that they are rewarded for doing things like I'm gonna I wanna make a perception check and check this out. I wanna look I wanna do that. I try to do that in the game when people start doing those things. When they start slowing down the action, I tend to reward that. And again, that's because I'm playing with younger people who tend to want to just go really fast through everything. So setting that tone and encouraging that sort of slow exploration and you know, setting a tone early, I think, is really, really helpful. And, and you know, use some effects if you can, you know, uh, even sound effects, I don't know. But give these characters some personality. I mean, I guess that goes for every adventure, but I think for this one specifically, these guys are in a new weird place, and I think you want them to feel that. And and I think it can make the experience a lot more profound. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I would use the... Uh whatever trappings you have available to you. Yeah. Like you can watch a Julius Caesar production in a black box theater with no sets and think that's incredibly impressive. But that doesn't mean when you watch gladiator, you think it's shitty because they have actual scenery. Yeah, like right. sure. use what's available sure. to you. And when I DM this, I did it in tabletop simulator, which is like oh. a 3d, you know, you've got little models of everything. So we were literally in a dark forest at a table sitting around with spooky, creepy noise. And you could change like the dynamic le uh, weather and all that, which, yeah, I mean, it helped me because I could I then didn't have to keep reminding people where we were, because I feel like that's something that a good DM has to do is like continually impr imprint the setting on the players, especially if it's something they're not familiar to. So like, you know, like Chris said, remind them what it looks like, remind them what it smells like, what it feels like. So if you have something that can keep that, you know, atmosphere around without you having to constantly go back to it, that frees you up to then really dive into the characters more than just, you know, pressing the setting on them. Because this is an overbearing setting and it should feel that way. So if you have something that can kind of convey that without you having to keep revisiting it. That's something that I would recommend. One of the great things about this um, this adventure 
is in the the way that authors wrote the descriptions. They use a lot of really powerful words. Paths disappear into the woods or cling to a mountainside. Voices crackle like dry weeds. There's a lot of descriptions. Yeah. And if you you know if you're not very creative with that kind of thing, you could just read those descriptions and put a little emphasis on them. And so there's a lot of that built into it already, uh, which is which is wonderful. Uh, shafts of light, thrust illumination. I'm just reading some of the stuff here, and that colorful writing and descriptions really brought it out for me. Because I had not looked at the original Ravenloft back in 83. but uh, So I don't know how that compares, Chris, to your experience. But It's very verbose, you know? Um, yeah. Like, I mean, do you when, remember first edition D&D books? I had to have a dictionary next to me when I was reading it. I was like, what are they? Lascivious? I was like, what is lascivious? <laughs> you know, like, they were written I, for, like, co- and, intelligent and you know, college people. We needed calculators back then with Thacko yeah. and all that stuff. And I, I think people have yeah. forgotten that the people who invented this game were graduate students or, right. you know, and they, you know, Gary Somebody Gygax was an and, English major because. Yeah. And, and that they really enjoyed being verbose and yeah. putting all this emphasis on the right syllable. You know what I mean? Yeah. They really were <laughs> into uh, making this as, I, I mean, I don't even know how to articulate that, but they had to I mean, make they grew the, up on Tolkien. Right. Like, I yeah, mean, yeah, true. exactly. I mean, that the Hobbit is the predecessor, really. I mean, uh, they, they got sued, yeah. right? They got sued because they did. Yeah, you halflings can't used to be hobbits. Yeah, yes. right. And so I think people sometimes forget that the the literary nature of these stories is just as important to the creators yeah. as the the hit points in the AC and the and all that other stuff. Yeah, and I think it's awesome to read some of these books. You know, everybody everybody knows in this group at least or the six fans that we have at Listen, that I am a fan of Wizards of the Coast and the publications that they put out. But some are just lacking in that and some are not. And this is yeah. one that happens to be not lacking in that. You know Absolutely. what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Same with same with Descent into Avernus. I think they really went out of their way to describe things fully and wholly. And um, that's awesome. I I get a kick out of reading some of these books that I, you know, I might never even play the campaign. <laughs> They're just right. fun to read, you know. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Great characters, interesting stories. There's, yeah, there's a lot in there. Yeah, I also want to say that just like we talked about in the last three part series about Descent into Avernus, you can take away from from this as much as you want, or you can add to this. Just you know, make it fun, make it for your group. It doesn't have to be word for word, and you know, the voices don't have to crackle like wheat. They can do something <laughs> else if you like. Mm-hmm. And um, I, like Chris just mentioned, I've been thinking about this. I mean, I've been paying attention to you guys too, but I've been thinking about this that a few times that Matt has added to our campaign the ambiance, the the background music that yeah. uh, Chris was talking about. It does make a difference. It creates a feeling that just wasn't there before the music, and I think that's an awesome feature for uh, for people to look into if you haven't already. I do like that feature, but. <laughs> My problem is I get so like caught up in the music that I as the DM like <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying anymore. Like yeah. <laughs> so I can only do it in like key moments where I'm like, this is just gonna be this and then I can turn it off. But that might <laughs> be why it works that's so my well. Own hang up on it. <laughs> it might be why it works so well because that it makes it seem like key moments to us at that point too, you know, on the player side. I don't know. 
I mean, yeah, it probably would lose its effect somehow if if it was just like a soundtrack all the way through or, you know, turned into a musical. But I think uh, the way you're using it is is effective. And, uh, you know, if you haven't tried it, maybe give it a try out there. Yeah, the Buffy musical episode. Right. Oh. Background for Chris Stroud. <laughs> so good. I'd, I would crack up. Yeah, me too. I also think we've talked a lot about, like, the DM providing that ambiance, but also, like, as a player, you need to come into this campaign kind of in the right headspace. And that, because, like, I mean, obviously you're playing a game at a table, like, if you don't want to be scared, you can easily not be scared, you know, just be <laughs> like, this is real, like, whatever, like, but I feel like you should lean into it if you can, like, let yourself get kind of worked up in the, like, well, what would my character be feeling? Like, this... Like, let yourself be afraid or let yourself act afraid because, one, that helps your fellow players kind of get into the zone a little bit. And it also makes that setting more real, like, because people are reacting to it in a normal or the expected way in some ways. Like, it just helps, I think. And same with, like, character creation, make a character that would be interesting for this setting, uh, I think also helps. I totally agree. I think as a, from the player side, I'd get more excited the more my party members, my fellow party members get excited or I get more everything. It's just so contagious. If you are really leaning into it and playing your character, I think it just helps everyone at the table do the same thing. And I'm not sure, but I would hope that it helps the DM sort of do the same thing with the NPCs he's playing as well. I mean, maybe you guys can answer that question, but I it know def- from the character side yeah. it does. It helps yeah, Matt, me does when it I'm help DMing. when we're just total shitbags as we play? <laughs> <laughs> I hope so, because that's every Tuesday. <laughs> seriously, seriously. Just yeah. thinking of last Tuesday. It's very difficult to DM when the party's sitting there just staring at you and not interacting and not really in it and looking at their phones and... You're like, That's the thing. What are so you going to do next? And they just stare at you. It's like they're just <laughs> waiting for the next combat. Right. It, yeah. That's the thing. Like Playing your character, if you really... This this adventure allows you to experience a lot of things that some other adventures that I've played don't. Where you could actually... Well, not really. You, everyone knows, like Matt said, we're all sitting at a table at our friend's house. Or all on the internet with our friends. And it's not that scary. But you could let yourself get a little afraid or get a little taste of fear uh while playing this one if if you really if you allow yourself to do so and some some aren't that way i mean some adventures aren't made for that but this one is particularly good to get you on the edge of your seat so to say so absolutely so the way i handle that with my groups especially in person is there's usually someone that's really engaged Unless everyone's just staring at you blankly, and that's awkward. But there's usually someone that's taking control. Um, and then you got their wingmen, you know, they're backing them up. And then there's the other people that just kind of sit back. And sometimes that rotates. But sometimes there's a few people that just don't get engaged. And what I do is, I'll at that point, if I notice that happening, I will directly ask the quiet people 
questions or have the NPC address them specifically or go around the table and, and do a, you know, if, if no one's really role playing well or it, it's stalled out. And that could be very frustrating for everybody, including the DM. To go around and just have each person say what they're going to do and just roll for it, you know, do a persuasion, do a deception, you know, depending on what what the circumstances are. And go around one by one and have each person kind of have to answer, but but not in a way where they feel like they have to be, a, you know, an ad lib actor, you know. Uh, which can put a lot of people no, on the spot. Everyone should take three improv classes before yeah. they right. play D&D. <laughs> you know, that's something that you guys did very well. Um, so I, I am one of those people. I am engaged, but I am not uh, overly talkative. And uh, I'm still sort of coming out of my shell in D&D world. And you, Rick, did that well when in our original campaign that we played uh, by asking me directly something. And uh, Chris, as a matter of fact, also... Uh, would do something where it was along the lines of, um, what do you think about that, uh, you know, character X, and sort of get get me involved that way. We- Weston is like a um, more experienced player, and he doesn't really need the prodding. And uh, same with Matt. So for me, that sort of helped me a lot. And I think um, from the player side to the DMs or future DMs of this and any other adventure, that is a very tactful way to get everyone to be involved and uh, maybe give it a try. Right. I try to do that with Luke. He tends to be quiet, um, especially since he, he has missed a lot of the sessions and he, it's hard for him to catch up and know what's going on. For our audience, Luke is the um, sixth member of our group and he is in school and he can't always play on Tuesday nights because he has classes and whatnot. So he'll pop in and he's got some great character ideas and it's a lot of fun. But a lot of times he seems a little lost. So I try to say, okay, Luke, what, what's your character doing? You know, or what's your input or where do you think we should go? And um, with, without doing it too often, I don't want to be obnoxious about it but it it, it draws him in and uh, he always has an answer uh so he is paying attention <laughs> so that's he's that's just good. young and has a life right yeah no seriously <laughs> right <laughs> where we don't very like, true the most exciting thing i do most weeks is D yep versus, oh dude uh, yeah you know the Same life here. of a college student right so mm-hmm. so back to curse of straw the the yeah. um the beauty of this that i saw was that you're going to a demiplane, so it'll fit in any campaign. Right. You know, you could start from anywhere. You just need a misty area, or you could create one. There's lots of different ways of getting to the lands. Um, yeah, it could just be you wake up and you're in a forest camp instead of the bed you fell asleep in. Like right, right, and just bring right, you yeah, there. It literally, be anything. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and that's up to the DM and what current campaign they have going, or or they could start with new ones you can start at pretty much any of the lower levels and squeeze them in there it doesn't matter if they're higher level for what it's rated for they'll just go through that area quicker because all the little trappings and early uh, encounters are more to set up for the big final scene yeah there's a there's a scene early on not to i mean i assume we're doing full spoilers 
yeah. since we're talking about the campaign. Yeah, just the whole episode is going to have a spoiler alert in the beginning. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, there's a scene early on where the characters come across a vampire spawn. And depending on where they are in the adventure, it can kill them if they actually try and fight it. Uh, but it would play out very differently if the characters were high enough level that they could cure the vampirism. And then, like, that just is another opportunity for you to to roleplay that scene out in a different way, as opposed to, like, having this more tragic scene play out. You can have it be kind of inspiring and give hope to people that then you dash as Strahd. But, you know, there's there's ways to balance the adventure for whatever level the characters come into it, as long as they're not, like, 20th level and can just kick his ass right away. Right. 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 Yeah. So it's it's kind of a sandbox. You're you're in this land of Barovia and you can travel around and do anything in any order you want to. So if you're an experienced DM, you can scale and change the encounters to make them as challenging as you want. For instance, if they they go to one that's rated very low and you want to make it challenging, you can you can up the stakes a bit. But um, it's not really necessary because, like I said earlier, the, the point of this is to instill more fear, not to have fight after fight after fight. Right. Um, and that fear feeds into the final battle. And so, that, yeah. That is something I wanted to, to point out is like, be clear with your players before you start that this is not a dungeon crawl like rick said it's not fight after fight it is a sandbox there's a lot of role play involved there's a lot of like mystery there are secrets to be uncovered there are lands to explore it's not just kind of beat them up and if that's something your players are looking for then this probably isn't the campaign for them but it provides opportunity for players that want a sandbox experience that's more curated and for me it worked as a good training campaign to try and then run another sandbox campaign of my own where like it gives you a good blueprint for like here's a you know compact little map you can set up i mean the players can get from one side to the other in a week it's not huge but it gives you a lot of stuff to play around with it gives you specific scenes that are kind of like waiting for the players to come across them and is instructive as a dm on how to sort of bait scenes around the map and stage them in a way that they can still be affected by the players regardless of how long it takes them to come across it. Because I feel like it's something that Matt does really well in our current campaign is it always feels like no matter where we go, there's something we can do that's interesting and there's some way we can affect the world. So I don't know how much of that, Matt, is like improv versus stuff that you have in the works that you're kind of keeping track of how it's changing and adjusting, but some of it is just waiting for us to, to come across it. I can't disclose that. <laughs> <laughs> so improv. No, <laughs> it's probably, it's about half and half because I do definitely prepare a lot, but then you guys never do the things that I think you're going oh, to do yeah. or be interested in. So then I have to improv. But then like the next week I iron it out and, and figure out what the branches might be for, the next so it it ends up being it's a mix of the two things every once in a while you do exactly what i think you're gonna do and i think i got these people pegged and then the next week you're like you know this is what i think we should do instead i'm like wow okay just threw me for a loop so it but that's what makes it so fun because that's what makes it feel like it's also a game for me and not just like 
I tell you a story and dance to my tune. Like, because you guys are, you do truly affect the story, and I think that's what's fun about sandboxes. Yeah. All the little things that the players get to build and do there affects the world, and that makes it absolutely fun yes, for sure. I mean, you know, though, as far as the... You're right, Wes, and this may not be the campaign for them if they like fight after fight after fight, but, I mean, once again, if you're an experienced DM, just talking like Matt was just saying about improving, you can put extra fights wherever you want, you know what I mean? Yeah. It is It is always an option, but at least in this particular campaign, your your players will get a chance to really practice that... Not practice, but enjoy the, the role-playing experience and the mystery and the, oh, where do we go next? And But, I mean, of course, you can throw as many fights in there or take as many away as you want, but I think this well, one is a, a good one for definitely... For me, because I was sort of early on getting back into it, and it was really the first one I played where it wasn't just fight after fight after fight after fight. And it, I didn't even know it would be that enjoyable. And it turned out to be extremely enjoyable, and I learned that Hey, I like stuff besides just fighting monsters. So. Yeah, there there is some uh, really good random encounter tables when you're roaming around Barovia, and you you just scale them to whatever level challenge you want for the players. So adding, like you said, just adding those fights is super easy. The theme is all there: um, wolves and blights and werewolves and zombies and all sorts of stuff. Lions around. and tigers and bears, oh my. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and all this, yes, yes. with all this undead, I mean, let's talk just a quick minute about party composition because there are definitely some things that are going to shine here. The paladin, if you're, you're, you know, you end up fighting Strahd, a paladin's going to be pretty helpful. Um, but also a cleric, you know, if you've got a cleric in this. Yeah, if uh, I remember correctly, during our campaign, the cleric was sort of the, the go-to guy. You know, he was the guy who was who always had something we needed to defeat, yeah. you know, what we were up against. Definitely yeah. a place for a cleric to shine, for sure. Mm. Yep. Yeah, so, I mean, and again, like, if you've got, I think a rogue could be pretty cool here, too. Um, like, especially like a fan, if you're a creep, one of the creepy rogues, like the phantom rogue is, is actually pretty cool. Um, I, I don't know, I think this... This kind of adventure, there's opportunity for a lot more intrigue and using non-combat skill type things, um, you know, letting people use their insights and investigations and things like that. And, and you know, persuasion and, and such with townsfolk and maybe getting more information. Yeah, I a think bard that might even shine a little bit there. Yeah, no, exactly. Right. And, and um, a bard could be good for sort of like adding a little bit of sort of joy if they're like the somebody who really leans into bard um and you know performs and such maybe could generate some sort of good you know i don't know relations with the townsfolk who it's pretty dark here it's pretty yucky um you know i hey i go into the tavern and i'm going to play a really upbeat thing and then they nail their performance role and like you get this sort of heavy cloud hanging over those people to just lift a bit. And then maybe you can change the atmosphere a little. Imagine that player who like, whoa, I like got people happy. You know what I mean? Like some people go for crazy sure. when that happens. And I think there's some really good opportunities for that. Absolutely. 
I mean, yeah. as as in all of them, it, it's once again like Matt was saying, you got to lean into that whatever it is you are. You know, if you're a fighter, then be a fighter, and if you're a rogue, be a rogue. But the more you lean into it and embrace the story, I think yep. the more you'll be able to affect the story, the collaborative portion of the yeah. campaign. And as a DM, like rewarding players for leaning in like that, like it would be so easy to say. Oh, I sing this song. I I play. You have like they roll their performance. It's great, and you go cool. That happened, and just like nothing changed. Right, and then it's like oh, so there's really no point in these scenes. Right, so I should or, never try anything again. Got it. Right, yeah. yeah like <laughs> it's very easy, and not it's not right. even always. I'm not saying that's an intentional DM dick move. Like. It can just yeah. be, I've got a hundred other things on my mind, but if you can try to notice when people are giving that effort and at least acknowledging it, I mean, you don't have to bend over, oh, here's a hundred gold. Like, it's not like you need to reward them profusely, but that acknowledgement of just like, even if it's temporary, just for a moment, the clouds parted or, you know, the room lit up, you can just have somebody come in the bar and like sweep that all away in a second, but they'll, they'll remember that they had an impact. Oh yeah, for sure. It's a yeah, cool. we make jokes about uh, you know, taking improv classes, but yes, anding your players is huge in terms of making them feel like it's a game they actually want to play and want to be in. Just you know, taking what they have or what they've given you and adding to it and then giving it back uh, is is really valuable as a player. It makes it really instills that that feeling of it, this is a collaborative effort and we make a difference, or you know. I make a difference to whichever player. I think that is that is huge. Is there something, yeah. Matt? You just mentioned prep and you know having a hundred other things on your mind, and and it's you know not an intentional dick move, but there's just so much going on. <laughs> is there something you guys as DMs can give sort of tips or tricks for prepping for this for session zero for the first session of a Curse of Strahd campaigns kicking off? Well, definitely read it. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, hey, you'll, be you'll be surprised. You'll be surprised. Oh, I know. Thoroughly. Read it thoroughly at least once all the way through and then the the chapters that you're going to be dealing with. Because it's a sandbox, you can't just read a chapter ahead of time. They could go all over the place. And so you really need to know what's going on and understand the core motivations of Strahd and why you have been brought here in the first place. Um, you're not an invading force that jumped on a, you, you know, a, a treasure hunt and are attacking a dungeon. The players were brought here for a purpose, and, um, and that's for Strahd to mess with them. So understanding all that, understanding the history. So it, 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 this one requires significant amount of prep and reading on the dms uh, yeah. part uh, you can't just you can't just grab it and and go because there's some subtle nuances with what's going on with the different npcs that really make for a beautiful tragic story but you can mess that up if you don't really understand why things are happening in this blighted land i think that's yeah. great advice for i mean Definitely any sandbox campaign, but like you should, as the DM, no matter what you're running, know the like 
motivations of your NPCs and, and whatever characters you're introducing. Because, and this just reminds me of this last week in our campaign, like, you don't know what your players are going to do and say. And, again, this isn't Curse of Strahd, but this last week, you guys were presented with, basically, there's a war brewing in our game, and you were presented with, there's these are the two sides. And my initial plan was, like, you have to choose. This war is happening, like, there's no way for you to stop it. But you guys said some a few key things to people that I had not thought of that, like, I was like, well, based on what they actually want to have happen, like, maybe they are interested in dealing with you in a different way. And that totally took us in a different direction that I wasn't planning for. But I'm really excited about it because it's all fitting with other things that are going on. But that wouldn't happen if I was just like, no, you must choose a side. There is no other option. There's nothing you can say. And, you know, sometimes there is nothing you can say, but you guys found a thing that I didn't think of, and I was like, oh, that was the thing you could say, like, and you unlocked a door, so. Um, so, Matt, purely for the viewers and not for us, what are those other things in the campaign that it, it is affecting? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <just. laughs> nice. Yeah. You almost yeah. got me there. Nice. I know. Just I viewers. was like, yeah, that's a good question. That reveals the plot. Right. So, oh boy. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. So, session zero, obviously, try to get everyone into the theme, into the horror, because it's, this is atypical. If they're horror fans, they'll jump right in, but you might need to lead them into this if they're not, if they're playing, used to playing, um, a more traditional D&D setting and letting the players really understand the darkness of of this place. And that goes back to what we said earlier about the using descriptions and narratives and, and all that. One of the great things is this adventure is, is prepped for all of that knowledge. It tells you how to roleplay Strahd, what Strahd's goals are on page, you know, chapter one, you know, it starts with that. So you really get a feel for why this is all happening as you read through it. And I found it was really helpful to go back and reread that often to remind myself, you know, what, what exactly is going on. And then, um, you know, one of the things that I kind of messed up when I first ran it is I didn't have Strahd show up a lot. He just did it the once when they first got there and and, and then, you know, because I was thinking, ooh, a vampire, it's very simple. You know, he's going to want to suck their blood, blah, 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 and and kill them immediately. And And so going back, I mean, Strahd wants to interact with them as much as possible, mess with them, toy with them, and, you know, talk with them. And so he should be, you know, maybe not every session that you play, but I really wish that I had added him more to the, uh, the entire adventure. Because by the, by the end, when they finally encountered Strahd, while Barovia was this horrible place, Strahd was this distant, you know, idea of a, you know, a big boss at the end of a dungeon that they would just have to kill rather than someone that they've interacted with. So I would recommend to read that part and actually have him in the midst of things. He can be there too. Yeah, in the mist, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've got mists and mids. 
Yes. And have him really have a huge presence. Have his carriage driving around. Like even if even if they just see the carriage with him standing on the top of a hill far away watching them as, you know, his cloak billowing around him in, in, in the dark mist and just them not knowing why, why he's standing there staring, you know, that that's enough to <laughs> unnerve anybody. And, yeah. you know, just little things like that. Um, you know, why, why is his carriage driving past us? You know, you know, even if he doesn't stop and interact with them, just have his presence be there throughout the whole adventure. I would highly recommend that. One thing that I did was in the book, it tells you Strahd is like constantly scrying on the party and is, you know, has agents throughout the land spying on them. So the, the party would come up with a plan to, to beat one of the like side quests or one of the obstacles in the way. And occasionally I would have one of Strahd's agents come and give them something that would be helpful for what they were doing. Because he knows what they're trying to do. And he's like, yeah, this is fine. This isn't going to affect me. Uh, but you're probably going to need to do this or this, you know. Or here's something you should know about what you guys are thinking about doing. Just yep. to let them know that he is watching and, you know, kind of taking that sense of privacy away. Because there's a, you know, you just assume that when you're talking as a party in, you know, the, the bad guys aren't listening to everything you say. But Strahd usually is. So try and balance that with like, unless the players take a lot of precautions to try and prevent him from knowing what they're doing, if they're if they're cavalier or casual about any of it, make sure that he knows and make sure the party knows that he knows. Yeah, that, that that's a good point. would add to the fear of like, oh, so I can't even just talk to my friends. I'm constantly being surveilled. <laughs> like, yeah. Just add some paranoia to it. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> yep. But also, um, I like that what you're saying is like he's sending things to help. It's not because that would be super frustrating if it was every time we made a plan, the DM always changed things or the, the bad guys were always ready for the, the plan. And like, so it never was working or we were always just barely getting by because like didn't matter what we did like or what we said, like it, we just couldn't get around it. It's like. It's almost, it's better, it's it's fun because I still get to do my plan, but also I am still scared because I know I'm being watched and heard, and I can't do, like, I can't plant, plot against Strahd, I can only plot right. against these other people. Right. It also makes and, it, not knowing whether or not he's actually helping until after the fact, and it has helped, right. m- adds a whole nother layer of just mistrust amongst everyone. Yeah, That's do I awesome. use this item that he gave yeah. me, or is this a trick, or like... Yeah, that's an excellent oh. thing there, Wesson. Yeah. That would that would really drive me nuts. <laughs> <laughs> it's messing with my mind already. And right, I'm not even, I'm not even playing that campaign. Yeah. What about you, Chris? Any any advice? Yeah, getting started, I almost would keep sort of a, a score sheet in a way. Um, so, like, depending on what the players do and... Um, I guess this only applies if they're really sort of getting very social and interacting with other NPCs and and they might be able to get <clears throat> or recruit some help. They might be able to get I, I, I look at sometimes in social situations, which I think this is one. Uh not that every one isn't, but I mean this especially allows the players to really sort of dive in. Again, it's a cap you've got sort of a captive audience. This place isn't that big. And you could really sort of dive in and make an impact. So I, I sort of, 
keep this, want to keep a bit of a timeline on what they're doing and what's going on, because you go from like level one to 10 or something by the time this is over. That's a lot. And during that time, there's a lot of, you're going to interact with a lot of different people. And what I sort of like to do is, is keep a score sheet for that. And just so you know where the players' alliances are, if they have any, who, who, whose good graces they are in or not. And then I really suggest they dive into Strahd, who he is, and literally sort of write up a profile for him. So when you're role-playing him, because I think this is really important to setting the scene, you're you're being consistent and you're really hitting on some of the cool things about his personality and who he is. I mean, he, this is not like a guy who was a good guy that, you know, became a bad guy. He was always kind of bad. I, and I, I use that loosely um, because, you know, like like anything, um, how did that happen? You know, like it's not like he was born in this horrible person, but his backstory is dark. And it's full of, like, real, the darkness in humans, you know, um, in certain circumstances. A lot of jealousy with his brother. He's, you know, he was covetous and, you know, he had scorned love and things. I mean, there's so many themes there to work with. And if you really want to bring Strahd to life, you've got to understand those things. And honestly, try to really like Strahd. Here is a thing I see a lot of people do is they play a bad guy that's almost just entirely bad. I would take a few moments to actually show some kind of human side. Like they do this in movies. The villain will come across a dog and he'll like help a dog. And so all of a sudden the audience falls in love with the villain. Forget all the horrible things he did. He helped the dog. So now, oh, you know, it's like it's like these shows where the Breaking Bad, Walter White's a villain straight up by the end of this you're still pulling for him you still want him to get through it even though he's done that's all good writing that's what that is things exactly so you as the dm can do that too you can show periods like one of the things i did is there was so i had strad be fond of a certain family in the town for i can't even remember why but i remember one of them got really sick the players tried to help and couldn't and i thought ooh this is a great opportunity for strad to ride into town and actually help this person and they would see that. So everybody saw that, but it wasn't, he didn't do this out of the kindness of his heart. The backstory was he actually owed that family. So that was him setting that straight and moving on. He, it, but the players kind of saw that and were like, whoa, he's not like entirely horrible. And it's like, no, he mostly is. But that was like him, you know, like balancing the scales. And the group literally did a, well, wait, maybe we can, because this was the same group that cured an undead years before that i anyway those kinds of things it's it's diving into the little details that i think is where the the juice is in this adventure that at least it was for me gotcha well i think we've reached our hour guys um how about next week we just dive right into the adventure and do our our walkthrough yeah sounds Sounds good good and weston if you're available you're always welcome we enjoy having you I appreciate it. If it works out where uh, you record on my day off, then I'll be here. (laughs) Sweet. (laughs) Outstanding. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate your insights, and uh, we'll do it again next week. Until next time. All right. Thanks for listening to the Guild that keeps on giving. 
Please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, or whatever your favorite podcast service. Also, don't forget to like and share our Facebook page, The Guild That Keeps On Giving on Facebook, our Instagram at TGTKOG, and our Twitter at T underscore G underscore T underscore K underscore O underscore G. For all of us here at The Guild That Keeps On Giving, thanks for listening and have a great week.